0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the GCI podcast. I'm your host, Anna Amar, and on today's episode, we have Michael Lee, a previous CEO of GCI from the class of 2017. Michael spent two years working at an investment bank and now works in private equity. So, we'll be talking about both of those experiences, comparing the two fields, what's the interview process like for both of them, as well as covering what is The best way to network, and how do you get around the uncomfortable feeling of networking? And then finally, talking about Michael's experiences at Georgetown, and more importantly, the wisdom that he's picked up now that he's three years out. Lots to cover, lots to talk about. Let's get right into it. Yeah, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Joining me, Michael, you are the whole package. You went into investment banking, and then you went to private equity. So you have this wealth of information. So it's quite common to complete a two-year program at an investment bank, and then later transition onto the buy side. However, I've heard of some instances where some analysts have left early because they were well, poached by the buy side. And I've also heard that the buy side recruitment process has been moved up a lot earlier. Like some analysts are getting emails right before they've even started working. And so I was wondering, had you witnessed that trend and why you chose to complete your two-year program rather than moving earlier to the buy side?
1: Yeah, um, that's definitely an interesting question. And I, I guess it's not a trend that I've seen a lot of, but maybe maybe I'm just behind on the times here. Um, I think it's pretty common for most people to finish their two years. Um, and the recruiting is is kind of crazy. So I think if you separate it out in kind of two two different ways of looking at this, right? One is, you know, what's what's the reasoning or rationale behind staying for a full two years. And the other is like how does the recruiting process kind of fit into that timeline, right? So um, I think in terms of the recruiting process for buy side, it is pretty hectic and kind of you're in your first year, right? So you get on the desk, you know, you start working in you know June or July. Uh, Full time, and then recruiters would start reaching out pretty early. So we were getting emails like you know immediately, not almost not immediately, but like within a month or two of hitting the desk. And then you would start getting um, you know requests to meet headhunters and all this kind of stuff. It just depends on how and when each buy side firm likes to kick off its recruiting, and then that usually triggers like a flood of other people doing it. But um, I think generally it makes a lot of sense to finish two years or at least to get to a point where you feel like you've you've learned everything you, you need to and you can, right? And I think that's really a personal question, right? So part of it is, I, th- I think as long as you're learning and getting experience and you feel like you have something to gain by being in that program, which I think typically is true for, for most people and in most cases, um, it makes a lot of sense to finish it out. Uh, you know, wanting to leave early, if, if there's an option to do that, uh it, you know the risk is you jump into a, you know a job or a role that you might not be fully ready for or you might not um be able to handle if, if you haven't kind of finished that two year process but like i said it's it's a very personal process and a very personal question for, for each person to answer on their own
0: so when you're applying to private equity jobs or buy side in general is it secretive like do you have to make up a reason a doctor's appointment to go to an interview or do your VPs and associates kind of know what's going on?
1: Yeah, so I think um, it really depends on the culture of the firm you're at, right? Um, you know, everybody knows this happens, and obviously every year people get recruited out of, you know, all the banks to to go to the buy side. So there is no it's no secret that it happens and that it's going on. I think the culture of each firm will dictate how open you are about it, Um you know, and I, I, I won't go into too much detail about my own experiences because I'm kind of under confidentiality with a lot of the firms I used to work with. Right. And and also what I currently do. So um, but I can say that, um, you know, I had a very positive experience and it was it was very collaborative. And, you know, people were very open about um, kind of covering and making sure that um, you had the chance to kind of go do what you needed to do. And, um, you know, that just is, you know, again, I think it's dependent on not just, you know, the firm, but also who your teams and who you're working for. You know, if people are really uh, vested in your kind of future growth, uh, as, as you hope they are, right, when you go and pick a place to work, um, people are generally understanding of it. So it's, it's, you know, it's enough of an industry phenomenon that nobody's like surprised by by this happening, right? So, um, but, you know, that being said, you, you definitely want to be respectful of, of people you're working with, the firm that you're working with, and uh everybody that that is a part of the team that that you're on, right? I think I think just making sure you can maintain those relationships is really important, right? And for me, that's been a personally really rewarding part of the whole experience of banking, was that I think I, I came out of it with a lot of very personal relationships. And um that's that should also just kind of be how you how you think about it, right? Part of your equation when you think about whether it's leaving too early or whether you're you're recruiting. So mm-hmm. Hopefully
0: yeah, it is. So I know you're under confidentiality. So I'm gonna to try to tiptoe with this follow-up question. Um, my follow-up question is: How would you compare interviewing for an investment bank and and interviewing for um, private equity or buy side?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call it harder. I think. I think you're comparing processes that happen at different stages of your career, right? So it's a little hard to compare and, and put them on the same same level and, and say, you know, these are apples to apples comparisons, right? I think, um, you know, when you're an undergrad, obviously, uh, especially for me, you know, I wasn't a uh, business finance, like undergrad, I was in the SFS. So a lot of the knowledge I had was from GCI, which was, you know, obviously really helpful and really good. And uh, why I you know really enjoyed that experience so much. You When you're going in with that from that background that mindset um and you're interviewing for your first job basically right i think there are different expectations but i think once you're in the job and you've been an analyst for a year or, or even like three months which is like really often what happens when you're recruiting on the buy side um you're exper- you're expected to have some level of, of knowledge right um but it, it's also kind of hard to say that right off the bat, because also as the recruiting timeline has gotten more compressed and, you know, as people started doing by-side interviews, you know, your first, instead of your first six months where you've had six months of experience, it's now like three months or two months or sometimes even one month, right? Uh, Which is absurd because the point is you can't really verify what, you know, what somebody is like or what they're going to be able to do in, in, you know, you're hiring them like 23 months in advance, right? Something like that. So, um, it's hard to say where, where that level of expectation is set, just depending on when the timeline kind of goes, but I do think fundamentally it is a different, um, it is a very different interview process because uh, you're, you know, you're fundamentally interviewing for a different, a different role, right? A different seat at the table, right? If you're, if you're in banking, the analogy that I've always liked to use was, you know, if you're in banking, you're like a real estate agent, right? You're, you're a broker for. Companies that are, um, you know, trying to buy or sell themselves on, the, and you're kind of understanding the market. You know where the market's at. You know who are the major participants are, who are potential buyers, who are potential sellers, and you're essentially trying to connect those, right? You know, private equity, um, in general, is more like, instead of being a real estate agent, you're like buying and flipping houses, right? Uh, you are the person who is. Uh, the principle in the transaction, you're buying something with the investment in mind, and you're a buyer in that relationship rather than the broker, right? So um, it's a different perspective. And I think you'll find that the questions that are asked are reflective of that, right? It's, it's way more about your business sense and logic and what makes sense or what investment trends um, can you kind of unpack and apply to a specific investment rather than, um, you know, rather than uh, the technical aspects of can you actually do the job of an investment banking analyst, which is fundamentally you know all the technical skills, like the basic the accounting, the finance, you know the accretion dilution, the m and a type stuff, like all that kind of stuff. So um, I think broadly speaking, right? And again, none of this is specific to anything that I've done. It's just the stuff that I think I've picked up over the years, um, you know, having been uh, an interviewer as well as an interviewee for for a bunch of things. so
0: and And we'll get to the the part about you being an interviewer later because that's that's definitely very useful and very interesting
1: sure. <laughs> um
0: but being an interviewee I'm sure you've had so many what is the hardest question you've ever been asked in an interview and I, I don't mean to dig up um, past trauma
1: yeah no yeah <laughs> triggering me no um I don't know I really don't know I think uh I I tend not to remember um Specific questions, I guess. I think I tend to remember them more as conversations, right? And whether they went well or they didn't go well, or how I felt in general, my impression of the other person, right? And you know, I'm I'm sure we'll get to this later. But you know, when you're doing an interview, it's it's really not just about you, right? It's also about the other guy at the end of the table or the other person that you're talking to, because they're also you're also interviewing them, right? And I think that's something that's usually generally helpful to keep in mind as as somebody pulls out a really hard question um you know i I started thinking of okay like somebody just asked me this what's he really trying to figure out like he doesn't really care about the answer right he cares generally uh about you know how you're reacting and how you're responding um and uh that's that's probably what you should focus on rather than how difficult a question is but i honestly I, I don't I don't really have one that jumps out of jumps out of me that just was like a tough question to answer right like um, they all blend together.
0: No, I mean, you gave some really useful advice instead. So honestly, I think that was the better end of the deal. Um, yeah. So I want to go back to comparing your investment banking experiences and your private equity experiences, just because you have had both. Uh, and that's the first time we have that on the podcast. So Fun. Um, <laughs> what are some of the unexpected differences that you've experienced when you compare working in investment banking and private equity specific to your experiences or something more broadly that you've observed from a distance.
1: The stuff that you'll see I think most commonly referred to as like the biggest difference and the biggest shift is that, you know, it is a it is a different mindset, right? It's a different role, different seat at the table, right? So you are thinking about things differently. Um and I can remember specifically, you know, uh being an MA, right? It was uh trying to pitch fundamentally a bunch of companies on merging or or divesting something or whatever the case was, right? Um, I think when you're looking at things from an investing perspective, depending on, and this is hugely dependent on like where you end up going, right? It's it's you know, what what specific strategy does this private equity firm employ? Are you looking at earlier stage stuff versus later stage stuff? You know, what sector are you in? There's just a lot of variance, right? Um uh, it's just, it's overall, way more diversified field than than banking. I think banking is a very, you know, much more consolidated kind of industry. Um, and, you know, whereas there's hundreds of private equity firms that all kind of will will do their own thing or or follow some general strategy, but have their own kind of flavor to it. Um, so the difference is, I you know, on a day-to-day level, and again, not specific to any of my, my personal experiences, but just in general that I've noticed, I think is um, you are way more thoughtful about Everything right, I think there's less of the um, you know, what was really refreshing, right, is that there's less of the kind of uh, you know, focus on presentation and polish and making sure everything looks good and looks clean and is formatted nicely and something like that. Because, frankly, at the end of the day, like you're that's just a waste of your own time, right, as an investor, and you don't want to be wasting time doing things that don't actually change how you fundamentally think about a problem or a project or a question, right? So, um there's just more of an emphasis on making sure time is used efficiently to answer the questions that you're supposed to be answering, which fundamentally all pertain to, do I make this investment or do I not? Right. Um, and also you're thinking, I think a lot more holistically, it's less about, okay, what are the specifics of this company? Um, you know, that I'm diving into and a lot more of the time is spent on thinking, okay, what is the industry that I'm actually backing? What are the trends and tailwinds that occur here or the problems or challenges? And, that is a different type of analysis than if I just go and run, you know, I don't know, like accretion dilution on combining company A and company B, right? Like, that's just not the same type of thing. So um, I think it is more macro, and I think that's that's interesting. Um, but I also think, again, that a lot of this just depends on what, where specifically you're working and, you know, what what the strategy of that company is. It just, I mean, what that what that investment firm is. So it's, it is very different, right? I think, I think you um, tend to care a lot more because, um, you know, for me, it's when we go and uh, when a deal gets done, right, it, in general, right, it becomes a part of your portfolio and you are living with that bet you've made. And it's not just um, a one-off type of transaction, which I think occurs a lot in, in you know, in M&A. And uh, obviously, like, you know, the senior partners at, at any bank try to maintain relationships and, and do right by their clients. Um, but, at, you know, it's different being, you know, the the investor and the principal, right, rather than the advisor, right? It's just fundamentally a very different feeling. <laughs>
0: So you mentioned earlier that you are both the interviewee and you're the interviewer and I definitely want to hear about your experiences, um, with that. So what are some things that you've noticed now that you're on the other side of the table?
1: Yeah. Um, and again, not, not specific to, to anything that any of the firms that I've worked with, but, or worked at, but, um, it is different. Uh, you are, um, it's funny because i think you know it's still relative reason i'm still often the interviewee in a lot of cases right but being the interviewer it's kind of i think i think i probably have a little bit more sympathy in a lot of ways because it's just like okay um i remember what it's like to kind of be there (laughs) and uh you know it's generally good to um uh, try to establish some sort of rapport in the beginning right and and not just go right off the bat with with a bunch of questions um Unless that's what you're, you know, tasked with doing, right? In certain 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 instances, right? Um uh you might be asked to to try to be a little bit more abrasive or to be whatever, right? Um but I think it's easier on both people's ends when when everybody feels comfortable and it feels like you're having a conversation. So um definitely I definitely remember what it's like to kind of to kind of be the interviewee. So
0: And what advice would you have now that you've been an interviewer?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um just try to get comfortable as soon as you can, as soon as you can. Right. Um, Just remember that, uh, you know, calm, you know, calm your nerves down as much as you can. Right. I know that's, that's like a lot easier said than done, but um, I think the more you try to just exhibit um, presence of mind and, and kind of more calmness, uh, which everybody's had to do at some point, right. I mean, everybody went through an interview for Georgetown, right. Um, Everybody has, more than likely had to speak publicly at some point in their life, hopefully at this point, um, everybody's kind of gone through moments where, yeah, like, you know, your, your, your presence and your, your presentability and your demeanor uh, says a lot about you, right? Uh, especially when you're under pressure, which happens a lot in these jobs, right? Um, they're pretty demanding and you will get calls randomly from people, uh, whether they are lenders asking questions, whether they are your, your investor, you know, whatever the case might be, whether it's a party on the other side of a deal, like trying to figure something out. Um, unexpected things happen and, and you kind of just want to be ready about it. And I think, you know, the key is really just don't let any one thing trip you up or really kind of throw you off balance, right? Because it's, it's a holistic process and, you know, dwelling too much on how your response to one question might not be right is not a good use of your headspace, you know, in the middle of an interview. So, um, it's good to be calm and your presentability, I think is a big factor in how a lot of people view, um, you know, the the strength of a candidate. So just keep that in mind and um, you know, answer with 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 uh just calmness and I think you're fine. <laughs> so
0: yeah, I mean your answer was perfect. You literally answered my next question. I was gonna ask like how do you handle a, a curveball?
1: Yeah, I to, what what I'll say to that is really just um you know take time to think, right? Like there isn't a need for you to respond to something immediately. Um, you can also generally feel free to ask questions about the curveball, right? I think typically most people will give you all the information you need up front. and you need to, um, realize that you are in a position to ask questions because, you know, if the point of the interview is to simulate the real job, right. And what conditions are like in a real job, you know, if there's something going on that doesn't make a total, you know, a ton of sense to you, you are allowed to ask questions and say like, okay, like, I just want to make sure I'm following this clearly, you know, repeat whatever the interviewer asked you back to them in your own words and see if that, you know is is actually like what they're what they're uh asking and that demonstrates that you actually understood the question right which is already kind of a feed in and of itself um and then when, once you do that really take a take a moment to think and also sketch out in your you know as you as you're thinking about it in your head sketch out the framework that you're building in your head to answer that question right um you know a long silence is fine as long as you have the ability to kind of walk somebody through your thought process and be cognizant of like, you're also doing going through this process of walking through your thought process, because that's what people want to see. Right. They don't want to just, you don't, you know, even if you just spit out an answer and it's the right answer, like it doesn't mean anything unless you could explain to me how you got there. Right. Um, and I think most people who ask those types of questions, I think would tend to agree with that approach. So.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting to, to hear your, your opinion on, in, on being on the other side of the table because you have a very calm, demeanor about it in a very open and welcoming and warm demeanor i was talking to somebody who was telling me that their interview process is it was crazy i because they would just grill like interrupt your answer
1: yeah i mean look i think i think there are all sorts of interview processes out there right and again i'm not speaking i'm not trying to speak specific to any you know again to any of the firms that i've worked at but i think in general right um that's your response is just to be to be kind of uh, to be to be calm about it. And I think when people do try to do something like that, it's probably to see how you react. Right. It's, it's a lot less about, you know, I, I don't think it's the interviewer just being a being a dick. Right. <laughs> I don't think that's like the case. I think it's really just the uh, I think it's really just the 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 point of that interview for whatever reason in and in whatever process that's being run through is, you know to try to see how you' react in those types of situations and um, you know that does happen by the, by the way on the job like you know um I won't go into any of, you know of, <laughs> of the specifics but like that definitely does happen on the job so you you have to get a sense of how somebody's going to react under pressure like that so
0: um yeah I know it's nice to it, it's nice to know that the other kind exists that's <laughs> it's definitely reassuring <laughs> that's uh I'll leave it I'll leave it at that um do you ever get emails from younger students freshmen sophomores juniors asking for you know like oh i'd love to hear about your experiences just like the typical networking email
1: yeah yeah it's um it's still fairly common i think it was more common in, in banking because that was where you know when you get an undergrad reaching out right it's usually for a banking role uh, because generally the the buy side kind of a lot of these firms don't recruit right out of undergrad so um yeah I I did It it was it was bizarre being on the other end of it and so what
0: like what would be your advice to those people drafting those emails like if there's something that you could change
1: yeah yeah I remember very distinctly when I was doing when I was on that end right um and I remember very distinctly feeling very disingenuous about it, right? It's just, it didn't feel like this is a real conversation you were having. It felt like very transactional in nature. You just felt kind of awkward doing it because it's like, okay, this guy doesn't know anything about me. The only link we have is, you know, George Georgetown likely or, or something else, right? Or you met him at some networking event doing something, right? Um, and it just feels kind of weird. And I think what most people will tell you is that it is weird, but it's still part of like a necessary process, right? And people kind of expect it in this industry at this point, because it's just an established way of like you know, a candidate demonstrating interest, right? Um, or whatever the case is. So I, I would say the first piece of advice is don't get discouraged, right? Um, two things is that you, one, you'll find that um, I've, I've certainly been guilty of this, where it's just really hard to respond to all the emails in a timely fashion. And if you don't get a response, you know, wait a week and send it again, like and just say, hey, you know, want to follow up and, um, just don't be afraid to do that two or three times if you need to, because people get really busy and it's, you know, when things are really, really busy, it's hard to allocate time to something like that. Right. And I, and it's not, you know, it's not the, the, um, the person on the end is not trying to be disrespectful or rude. In most cases, they're just really slammed. Right. Um, so don't, don't get discouraged if somebody doesn't respond in a timely way. Right. I think that's one thing. Um, two is what I'll say is, you know, I think, especially in undergrad, I think from the perspective of a student, it does feel weird. It does feel really weird, right, to network. But I think once you have, you know, gotten older, um, one is you realize that it doesn't really stop, right? Um, it's it's. I'm not saying the cold email part of it, but the the way of making connections with people, um, and and finding out information from them is something that doesn't stop, and it usually goes both ways, right? Um, even now, right? I think. I've certainly reached out to people that, um, I think are doing interesting things. And some, a lot of the time for me, it's also not even, they're not even all like, just like finance people or finance, you know, industry people, right? It's, this is true for, you know, broadly, like the business community in general, right? Um, you find that it's, it's a good way to just try to understand something, uh, from someone else's perspective and understand someone else's story. And that, that's actually usually very, very helpful as you think about your career as it progresses, right? So, um. That's something that you know you're going to get used to, and it won't be as weird, kind of like down the line. I promise you, like it's it's become very natural, um, and you also find that you get much better at having those conversations because it's not just uh, it it doesn't feel nearly as transactional because you know hopefully at a certain point you're also offering something from your perspective, right? And it just becomes a form of information exchange, and um, it just feels a lot more natural if you genuinely kind of want to learn more, right? I think you'll find that most people like. Like anybody, right, if you reach out to anybody out of the blue it doesn't even have to be in you know in finance, it could be in government, it could be in whatever industry that you have an interest in uh you 'll find that a lot of people are willing to share their experiences, especially when you're younger because um you know one of the things that you'll realize is that uh, it's, finance is weird in a lot of ways because it's very structured, right? Like, there is a very set path. You get into a good school, blah, 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 blah right? Some bank comes and recruits you and then you go into buy side or whatever the kid or you go to hedge fund, like, you know, any, any buy side firm or whatever it is. And there's like a set kind of path and there's headhunters who kind of help you do it, all this stuff, but like no other industry really operates that way, right? Like I can't think of another industry that hires some person who's really fresh out of school for a job like two years after that, you know, before they even, they make a decision to hire somebody two years earlier than when they need that person, right? So it's just a bizarre way that this industry works, but um, you'll realize that I think what you learn kind of going through that process is, is uh, your ability to kind of try and talk to people and get information and um, learn stuff from other people's experiences. And that's that's like the real value, I think, of, of all the stuff that you're doing. So I, I think of it as something that you're, you're learning and getting practice on rather than kind of a tedious exercise, <laughs> which it can be, so. Yeah, no,
0: that, that's, that's really useful and very motivating to know i know networking is something that becomes so easily something that you don't want to do and just it's so easy for it to not be
1: fruitful no i mean look i think it's it's hard because you're in a position now where you don't have much to offer right you're you're a student right there's not you know there's not a lot you can kind of offer the other party in a way i think when you get a little older and you start having some job experience under your belt and you start talking to people who have different backgrounds i think you'll find that people sometimes also want to ask you questions and, you know, are curious about what you've done. So I think at that point, it feels like a much more natural, like, you know, I have something to offer here and I, I want to share my experiences if it helps you. And other people feel the same way. Right. But I, so I think, you know, it's tough because, again, you're a student, you don't have that. But I think once you kind of get a little bit further along your careers, you, you realize that um, in order for you to get away from that feeling of this just feels like disingenuous and just weird and fake, uh, you'll find that if you generally try to help the other person and care about their, you know, understanding their stories and, and trying to offer some way to to make their lives better, like that's something that other people come to appreciate. And it becomes like a much more even feeling of, you know, people, pe- peers talking to peers rather than the other way around. So
0: Right. So we've been talking a lot about your present, I mean, a little bit back into the past when uh, we were talking about your investment banking experience, but now I want to go way back to your time at Georgetown so yeah it's not way back it's three years (laughs) you're not you're
1: not (laughs) feels like like way back
0: (laughs) so you graduated from Georgetown in 2017 can you share some wisdom that you've picked up now that you're three years out
1: yeah uh you know I like people are just people the people are amazing right and I think I think that's just something to remember regardless of where you are like you just make sure you like the people make sure you can connect with and care about and and feel empowered by the people around you. Cause if you're not, you're in the wrong place for sure. It doesn't matter if it's a job or grad school or, you know, whatever, maybe your current uh, club on campus or whatever it is, right? Like make sure you like the people. I think, I think that's just something that will make your life better regardless of what you're doing or what goal you're, you're moving towards. Um, otherwise, you know, GCI was a big chunk of it. Uh, it was one of the the things that I'm most proud of kind of as a, as an experience. Um, the, the fund was was very different when I started. It was like 30 people in like a sleepy little room and there was just nothing going on. And um, I still remember some of the people that, you know, I worked with. I actually ran into one of them before the pandemic started in New York uh, at a restaurant. And it was kind of funny because we hadn't talked to each other in a while. But, um, you know, it's just, you, you'll you make some like the relationships are really important i think i think that will always matter more than the degree or what you learned because frankly you'll forget all of it um <laughs> like but you know you'll you'll remember the people more and they'll have more of an impact on your life than anything else i think the university can offer you um and hopefully that's true for everywhere you go right every every job every firm whatever you do I hopefully that's the case um i think you know the building GCI up at the time was just incredible. And it had a pretty tangible impact on how I thought about careers and what I wanted to do with my life. Right. I think it was Georgetown, such a good training ground in so many ways of just getting a sense of like how the real world operates. I think it's, it's still a bit of, you know, it's like, like any college, it's a, it's still a bit of a bubble, right? It's not like, you know, uh, if you make mistakes here, it's not like a crazy, crazy, you know, consequence. Um, But you can really get a sense of agency and a sense of what's possible. Right. I think on campus, and um, what, by the time you leave, hopefully you've, you've figured out some idea of what you want to do and, and uh, realized that you have a lot of potential, a lot of ability to go chase whatever you want um, and, uh, and actually make that come true, right? So overall, like it was, it was one of the just the best memories for me. So
0: That's good to hear. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to experience it soon. Maybe in January. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I- it's,
1: it's tough. Um,
0: so I end every podcast asking for advice. It's kind of the tradition, the law of uh, the GCI podcast. So you've spent sure. a total of four years in GCI, ultimately rising up to be the chief investment officer, chief executive officer. Um, I was wondering, I know you said that it's, it's, it was small back then, it was 30 people. Um, but what are some of the lessons that you learned or some of the pieces of advice that you picked up or received during your time in GCI that you use as an investment banker or, well, previously that you use as an investment banker or now as a private equity associate?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, look, it was small when I started. I think by the time we left, it was, there were like, I don't know, 200, 300 members at that point. So we had grown it tremendously, uh, which was really cool, right? Um, yeah, and the uh the AUM went up like it like doubled, I think I think we were at 40,000, maybe forty fifty thousand 50000 when I started. Um and then I think when I left we were, we were above 100,000. So, you know, it was it was it was a lot of growth. It was cool. Um I think what I remember most and what I thought was the most important piece to all of that growth and and you know, building it up in general was um you know, I think there's a lot of things I love about Georgetown. And, and I also think, though, that it can become very clubby very quickly, right? And people are, um, you know, are kind of safely ensconed in their social groups and their activities and their clubs. And, you know, you know how it is, I think, as a student, right? Um, and one of the most important things about GCI, what we wanted to do with it back in the day was to um, really open it up to anybody who just wanted to learn, right? Well, the idea was to embrace... Uh, people that might not have that same background, they might not be business school kids, they might not be people who want to go into business or finance or whatever, Um, but still give somebody, someone an avenue to kind of learn about finance. Um, Part part of this is because I think, you know, finance education is super undervalued in in like general, like, you know, the American education system here. Like we just don't teach people about personal finance and not how to, you know, people don't think about how to manage money that much, right? Um, So that was like a big kind of goal was just, open this up to as many people who want to learn as possible, right? So that was a big part of the growth. Um, what I will distill from all of that as, as like a piece of advice that, that may or may not be unconventional, like, I don't know. I think, and it's something that I think Georgetown does a, like a bad job at. And again, I say this criticism with love, right? It's not that uh, it's just, this is an avenue I think the university should improve is, um, and I think it's really on the burden of the student body. But, um, you know, you, you're going to get so much more to life if you embrace things that are unfamiliar to you, Right. And that means, you know, that could mean any number of things as a student, but I think, you know, as you think about careers specifically, um, one of the things that I personally try to do a lot is to talk to people, become friends with people who just have different career paths, different, different things, different objectives, different goals, different dreams, right? I think that makes your perspective so much broader, and I think one of the worst things you can do to yourself is to surround yourself with people who think the same way that you do, right? Who might come from the same background or the same experiences or whatever it is. But um there it's one it's one matter to have people who have the same same attitude and same mindset and same approach about life and that's good, right? Usually if if they're hardworking and driven people, that's a good thing. But it's also another matter to surround yourself by people who just think the same way, right? To be surrounded by an echo chamber, right? To always talk to people who are all finance people who like have that same background, you know, that same job kind of history um the same kind of forward expectations for what they want out of their career. I think that's incredibly dangerous. Right. I think when you do that, you really close yourself off to uh just all the numerous possibilities that you can do. Right. And um it's funny that you said, you know, in the beginning, it's like, oh, like this is the whole package, right? Or whatever. That my experience is like very emblematic of, you know, this this traditional path of finance of, you know, going to school and then you know, doing banking and going into the buy side. And then, you know, and I'll continue that story for you, right? The, the standard story is you do that and then you go into business school, right? For two years, uh, you know, and then for business school, you go back, you, know, you go to a hedge fund or you go to another buy side shop and that's kind of your career trajectory, right? And, you know, I think there are a lot of people who say that is um, awesome and desirable. And again, also very tough, by the way, like those, you know, these jobs are not easy to handle. But I also think that if you really think that that's the only thing that's out there, um, I think you're doing school wrong, right? I think one of the things about college and undergrad and all the stuff that you're doing is that you should go explore all the things that you've always wanted to explore. Because at a certain point, when you get, when you start getting busy and you get into a career path, you're not gonna have time to go think about it as much, right? Um, so that's that's what I would say. That, you know, that has been useful for me is try to embrace things that are not familiar, right? Don't don't spend time or um, don't don't use that time with things that you already know or things that or people who who think the same way. Try to try to go expand like how you how you see the world and expand your horizons um that was that was a secret for growth for gci that's how we that's how we grew it from 30 people to like 200 300 people right um it was okay let's stop focusing on all these business school kids or whatever like let's expand it to everybody else who's been interested in investing and has or wants to learn more about personal finance and i also think that's a model for how you should grow your career so
0: so in your um reflections about George Shown and exposing yourself to as many different people as you can, because that's such a, there's such a high return on investment. I hate that I just used an investment term <laughs> that shouldn't be, shouldn't be applied, but.
1: Dora, we can keep doing it. We can call it diversification too, if you really want to go. That way.
0: <laughs> so how do you do that in your job? Because at your job, you're surrounded by people yeah. working in finance and the same team. How do you, keep your interests or I guess, well, that was very pessimistic. Um, how do you you expose yourself? (laughs) How do you expose
1: yourself to different people? You know, you're totally right. Right. You're surrounded by people who are in this field with you. You're working pretty long hours, right? That's a big part of it. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's easy. It's easy to look at that and say, yeah, like these people are going to be, uh, very similar minded. I think if you take the time to really get to know people and one of the unexpected kind of things that I didn't, you know, I, I didn't imagine this was going to be the case going in, but I think I came out of, um, you know, these job experiences with very deep personal relationships with the teams that I worked with, right? And you start to realize that, you know, uh, a lot of people like had previous lives, right? Like there are folks that, you know, who might be VPs, but previously they were engineers or previously they were doctors or previously they were, you know, and any number of things. And if you take the time to try to get to know them and talk to them about that stuff, I think a lot of people will be willing to share, you know, what those experiences were like and are easily become really good models of, you know what a career could look like that's beyond you know just the standard track that a lot of people follow right um i think it's good to just be exposed to things like that uh the second avenue of it i think is a little less professional but a little bit more on the social end of you know make friends with people who are also just outside in different industries, right? Who work in different fields. Uh, you're going to meet, there are people, not everybody at Georgetown goes into finance, right? Like there's a lot of people who went into, you know, a lot of the the government related agencies or like whatever, or a lot of the international students I think are really cool. You know, I'm sure, you know, you're, you know, you're from Belgium, right? Like you know, there's there's different experiences in different cultures there that you can understand. Um, you know, some of them went into consulting. I have friends who ended up working in Dubai, like um, some in just like all over the world, right? Singapore, where the kids might be um you know some in london like whatever and um you'll find that you can learn a lot from people who don't again don't have that same career trajectory or that same career path or that same goal in mind um and when you get to new york if you're going to new york or wherever big city you hopefully know that i think big cities are awesome so you know uh, i'm a little biased with that but when you're in like a place like new york there's also just a ton of people right and you could meet a ton of friends um you know that are not in finance and um you'll find that I think talking to those people and becoming friends with them and trying to understand like what they're hoping to achieve with their careers is also really helpful to you. Um, so the point there is just you have to be willing to kind of break out of the mold of being comfortable, right? You know, it's very easy to just get sucked up into this like very day in and day out. You know, you're working a lot. You're with these people uh, all the time. But if you find a way to kind of, you know, talk to people who are different from you, I think you're you're going to learn a lot more. So it'll inspire you to, I think, look at the world a little differently. And, and from there, who knows, like, you know, whatever, you know, maybe, maybe finance isn't your calling or maybe you want to go down a different path or maybe whatever, like you can do some really interesting things that way. So, but the only way you do it is again, if you expose yourself to it, so.
0: So I had, I had a, I had a Freudian slip earlier. Um, how do okay. you keep your, how do you keep your interests um, in when you enter the world of finance and You know, I (laughs) slipped out, but then I thought, I thought to myself, like, huh, when you're in investment banking, like the typical stereotype, hundred hour work week, 120 hour work week. Um, do you have time to kind of pursue the more intellectual side of you?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it, I think it depends on how you, how you define that, (laughs) but, um, I think that all the projects I worked on were really cool, right? Um, I won't go into details, but, you know, uh, there was a lot of just really interesting stuff going on. And there always is a lot of interesting stuff going on. The question is whether you view it um, as a chance to really learn something about that industry or that business or whatever the case is and see something happen. Because I think a lot of it is, is, you know, people tell you all the time, it's an apprenticeship model and it's experience-based, right? And the more experience you accumulate, the better you are at that job, right? And um, you'll 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 find time to, I think, ask questions to those uh, and, and, you know, ask questions to learn things. I think the best way to do it, though, to maintain more of the intellectual curiosity is, um, which generally I think is really helpful for these jobs because you're just gonna be learning a lot about things that are, you're gonna go really deep into a bunch of things and just realize that like, the stuff you're gonna be asking and thinking about like are not really like top of mind for most people, right? But um, if you find somebody on your team, uh, preferably like maybe a little bit more senior than you, but who you also have like ready access to, right? Uh, whether it's a VP or an associate or whatever, you know, if you're an analyst, um, and that person has had some more experience in whatever sector, um, you know, I found this especially true uh in private equity just because I think the people around me have a lot more exposure to this, you know, to this business in general as well as the sectors that I'm in, right? But you can have some really interesting like intellectual like conversations and debates with people about how to think about certain investments or how to think about certain industries or certain trends. Um, you know, there are times where like some of it could be arcanely technical. Um we're 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 just you know, I remember once I had an argument, not an argument, I had a, I had a debate of sorts with with someone about, like, how do you think about, like, doing uh, an LBO calculation on, like, the back of the envelope type, you know, try, you know, if given a couple of inputs, can you, like, reduce down the complexity of a model into a couple of simple equations so that you could figure out IRR, you know, in a very short amount of time, just given a couple of easy, like, broad inputs, right? Um, you know, and then you, we got into a little bit the ma- about the math behind it and, you know, how like the the actual like equations and what we were trying to like get something like simplified and derived to like a, you know, something easy to remember. Um, so that's like one, you know, kind of rabbit hole of things that you can get into. Um, other, on the other hand, like there's also just a lot about the sectors you're involved in. And I think, I think it's easier again, easier in private equity than in banking. But, um, when you start looking at some of these sectors, you know, it's really easy to get into an ivory tower kind of mentality of saying, okay, like this is just, what the world looks like, um, but sometimes you you miss like what reality actually is, right? And um, one of the cool things in private equity is you'll get access to a lot of resources, right? So when you want to go research industry, you can literally call up some you know some of these services that will say, hey, you know, uh, I want to go talk to a CEO who's been in this specific submarket for thirty years. Uh, find me this person to talk to and then you'll set up some calls and you'll talk to them and you can just ask them like anything you want out of the blue about like this business and this industry and their experience. And I think that's just one of the crazier, like most rewarding kind of elements of um, just knowledge gain and just like thinking about stuff, right. It's just being able to like have access to resources where you can ask these types of questions. So I think you'll find that, you know, when you're sitting on it as an investing role, like it is easier to kind of indulge those types of um, intellectual desires, but it is also, um, something you can kind of do in banking when you're talking to people who have more experience, right? I think it's I think people generally welcome the idea of questions. The question is can you really make time and you know, can you kind of remain disciplined enough to to like ask those questions? So
0: All right, well I guess there is yeah, hope for us all. There is hope after all. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This is such a pleasure.
1: Yeah, no, I look I'm happy I'm happy to to uh, answer questions and i'll say out there to uh whoever's listening right that you know i i'm happy to be a resource as best i can just reach out like i said there's it's tough for everybody to respond to you know everything in a timely way but um you know pci was always a really good part of my experience and um i i want to see it grow and, and succeed and i want to see its members do well so that's that's an important thing for me